Welcome to Hoopsville as we start the 2018-19 season officially here on November 8th. Yeah, a week earlier than we've ever started it before. I guess five days would be the more appropriate. We've uh, The earliest it started has been November 13th in the last few years. New rules passed in January has us starting on November 8th. I'm your host, Dave McHugh, coming to you from the WBCA NABC studios. Of course, Hoopsville presented by d3hoops.com more sponsors and advertisers to add as we move forward with the show season you may be noticing this is an audio only version some of our video fans will probably be a little perplexed well with the start of basketball season it also means for myself it is the start of basketball season two entering my 24th season as pa announcer for goucher basketball i am thus at a game and so we can't do both at the same time. I mean, well, I guess we could. You could. We could stream me PA announcing a game, but it'd be a little hard to talk of Division Three basketball and chat with guests and such if we did both simultaneously. So we pre-taped this show. Uh, this will happen a handful of times, as people are familiar, in the first couple of months of the season due to crossovers. Uh, I will be on the call for soccer championships once again this year in Greensboro, North Carolina. So after Thanksgiving, we'll have at least one more pre-taped show. We may have another due to other scheduling things. It happens on occasion. Most of the time, it's audio only as it is here. Uh, but as we move forward, we gain more sponsors and advertisers. That may change. We may be doing all video in those occasions. But let's talk about today. Let's talk about this season. And let's talk about tonight's show. First and foremost, we are underway. The first basketball game of the season has already taken place. It is the third annual battle between Clark and Worcester State. Took place at 12.01 Eastern. Actually, by the time they got it really tipped off and running, it was closer to 12.05, I think. I did watch that one online. It was at Worcester State, and it was a jam-packed crowd. Very impressed with how many people showed up for that game. Worcester ended up pulling it off, 87-81. And honestly, that's a little more high-scoring than I expected it to be. Uh, they don't, Both teams were only in the 20s late in the first half, and I thought it would kind of stick to a 60-something game. But Clark put up 51 points in the second half. Worcester put up 48 for the 87-81 finish. Again, impressive by everybody uh, at the uh, Brazette Court. Uh, not sure of attendance as the box score I'm looking at doesn't seem to have it, but it was absolutely uh, a jammed, packed crowd. I was really impressed with how many students were on hand for a middle-of-the-week game. Who knows? Actually, looked at another box score. They have zero in there for the number. Who knows what in the future uh, that may hold? I know I've talked to a few schools, including my alma mater, about doing such a thing. And also, we sometimes have seen a women's game in the Central Region and one of the Northwest Conference schools doing this as well. That didn't happen this year. This was the only game on the uh, docket to start at 12.01 at the start of the season. And granted, a lot of that has to come down to the late uh, decision on November 8th. Remember, this was not passed at the NCAA until mid-late January at the convention, and so some of those games may not have been able to be moved uh, as this one was. Still some interesting games tonight. Obviously not a huge number, but there's still some. Number one, Nebraska Wesleyan will get started with Grinnell. Remember we talked to Dale Wellman about that game uh, when we had him on the show Sunday. Number seven, Springfield will take on Western New England on the road. Number 15, Johns Hopkins is at Moravian. I think our Gordon Mann, who we'll hear from later, will be at that game. And number 23, St. Olaf will be at UW-Eau Claire. Really good battle and test early on for a couple of those teams. Of course, Nebraska Wesleyan playing Grinnell will have our attention, to be sure. 
number of other games uh, taking place uh, that we'll have our eyes on. Ferrum and Lynchburg are playing a non-ODAC game. Remember, Ferrum's now in the ODAC, but Ferrum and Lynchburg will take uh, be tipping off right about this time this show was available in a non-conference game. They actually only play once. Remember, the ODAC has that offset schedule. They'll play some opponents will play twice every year, especially the rivals. Some will only play once, and that's a rotational basis. So Farham and Lynchburg were only scheduled to play once. It's not until February 6th, that game at Farham. So this time, this game will be at Lynchburg. So the two teams playing nonetheless. Uh, so other games, certainly to keep an eye on. We'll keep an eye on the scoreboard. If you ever want to follow the scoreboard, go to d3hoops.com. Of course, on the women's side, even some top teams playing here tonight as well. Number seven, Chicago is on the road at Lake Forest. York will travel to number 11, Messiah. York, usually a pretty good squad, so that's a good test to start for Messiah this season. East Texas Baptist, the 14th preseason-ranked team, will take on McMurray in women's basketball play. So those are the top 25 teams. Certainly some other battles taking place that we'll keep an eye on. Again, d3hoops.com has your entire scoreboard if you're interested in following the action this evening while listening to Hoopsville, I assume, at the same time. So the last show, we kind of gave you an idea of what's ahead. I uh, want to give you an idea of what's ahead tonight. And then at the end of the show, we'll give you an idea of what we're going to be doing in the next few interviews on the show or segments and stuff, uh, plus some of the other hot topics. So tonight, coming up, we'll look at those preseason top 25s in a little bit more detail and talk about some of the nuances and some of the things going on in both women's and men's basketball. Gordon Mann will join me and talk about that women's top 25. Not only the fact that Amherst is number one, but that Bowden is number two. Um, and why Amherst is number one and why Bowden is number two. The, the, that conversation is somewhat interesting from Gordon's perspective. Also talk about, while we have certainly six or seven women's teams who are probably the, the favorites to win a national title or at least be in the, in the national title conversation, the rest of women's basketball has certainly gotten deeper. The next tier, as it were, the next two tiers have gotten deeper. Gordon talking about how more teams are being um, looked at by the voters and a good perspective from Gordon on what that all means. So we'll talk to him about that. On the men's side, our good friend Ryan Scott joins us once again uh, in a segment that will re-air. We'll, by the way, talk to Gordon as much as we can this season, but Gordon will try and join, or Ryan will try and join us more this season this year. And he talks with me, as we're both voters in the top 25, about the men's nuances. We've talked about parity, why that parity is still the conversation, but in a different scope this year. Teams he's looking for, both one he voted for, a couple he didn't, and why he's got an eye on those teams. I think one of them will, well, two of them might surprise you. One of them might not, but his reasonings may, may interest you. We talk a lot about what's going on in men's basketball, what we expect out of the season this year, and more than that. And our coach interview for tonight, it is an honor to talk to Jim Calhoun. He is the men's basketball coach, not for UConn, another Connecticut school near UConn. It is St. Joseph's of Connecticut, entering their very first season in Division Three basketball or in college basketball and all, as St. Joseph has gone co-ed, much like my alma mater, Goucher, did uh, before I arrived on the campus. Uh, he talks about those challenges, why he wanted to get back into basketball coaching, uh, what drives him, what he thinks of the season ahead, and much more. And obviously, a little bit of the fanfare behind the scenes. One thing we didn't talk about him, but that I've read quite a bit, ESPN has some cameras following him and the program on what could end up being a documentary. A little behind-the-scenes note for you who don't know. Sometimes the production team may be out there shooting without a real decision on whether there will be a production or not. 
you probably figure you will, but sometimes what you get determines you got to shoot the pilot, as it were. So we'll, uh, we didn't talk about that, but certainly that is going on at St. Joseph's. So a lot going on in Division Three on our first night. Not as much as we normally would get on our first night. And again, that's that's part and parcel for two reasons. One, it was a late decision to move it to November 8th, effective for this season. So some schools didn't have the chance to move things or couldn't move things. You also have conferences like the NESCAC who aren't even allowed to start playing until the Friday before Thanksgiving. So you have a whole group of schools there in New England um, who don't have games. And other reasons like crossover season. Some teams are aware of their administrative challenges. Some are not. I'm a little surprised that Messiah is hosting games, for example, this upcoming uh, weekend with their soccer programs uh, in the NCAA tournament. Granted, only one of them is hosting. But those dynamics have made the start. And I I think if it's good in Division Three, it's good to have a slow start. We don't need every single team playing on November 8th, 9th, 10th, etc. As we get further down, I think that's when the things escalate and the crossover is less brutal. But, you know, a lot of people have been talking on the boards. And by the way, go to d3boards.com to, to join the conversation. We call it posting up. Um, we could use more people in there chatting about Division Three. It's certainly a great resource and a great forum. But a lot of people talking in there, geez, where's the roster? Where's the schedule? Well, I think a lot of people have lost track, and admittedly myself, too, that well, we, we're used to the schedule and the roster being out a week before the season or two weeks before the season starts. Well, right now is a week or two weeks before the season started, usually. And so sports information directors and coaches and other administrators are so used to a certain schedule that this has thrown a, a wrinkle in it. Plus, all those in, individuals except the coach are focused on the fall sports as, as well, and so things are catching up. So I think we're all getting used to the start. Gordon Mann and I talked off air, not that I'm going to share a lot of our details, but we talked about the fact that even us as an organization are struggling to, at this early start. It feels uh, it feels weird. As much as we knew it was coming, it still feels early. As much as we prepared by moving the top 25 up and preseason All-America lists up, it still feels like we're not ready and it's early. And it's going to take some time to adjust to that. It also feels odd. We just had daylight savings time and we just had a general election. Uh, usually we have a little bit of breathing time after those two significant things happening in the country before we're talking Division Three basketball. Even Division One starting a little bit early has kind of thrown everybody off a little bit. So it's it's going to be some time to get used to, to be honest. Uh, a lot of the bigger tournaments won't really take place this weekend. They'll take place next weekend. Uh, I'm in favor of that. I don't think we need the bigger tournaments. If the Hoopsville Classic were to ever return, I would not be in favor of putting it on, on this particular weekend, especially at a school that may be pretty competitive in its fall sports. Um, so those are things we got to adjust to uh, and get used to, and, and we'll see how we do as we move forward. Um, but nonetheless, the season has started, and again, we've already got one game under our belts. The best record in Division Three basketball belongs to Worcester State. Oh, for probably another hour. Oh, actually, there's some games that are actually tipping off a, a little bit earlier. Um, but yeah, for example, Vermont Tech non-Division Three is at NVU Linden. Uh, remember, that's Linden State. They've changed their name a little bit, Northern Vermont Linden. Uh, that's a 5.30 start. So really, I would say in about a half hour or less, we're going to have a second game under our belts in Division Three, And it all leads to the end of the season. As we know, the end of the season will be Salem, Virginia for women's basketball this year and Fort Wayne, Indiana for men's basketball. Change for both. 
and looking forward to seeing how those uh, roads develop starting today. A lot of questions will start to get answered. By the way, I will I will caution you. Do not be overreactive. We get way too overreactive this time of year. Um, whether it's, oh my gosh, they lost to so-and-so, or geez, somebody's injured, um, or whatever the case may be. Let's let's pump the brakes a little bit. Let's watch teams get out of the gate. Let's see how things progress in the first couple of games. We cannot read into the into the things in the first game or two. A lot can happen, um, even outside of those games. So, you know, if somebody is injured, so be it. Some teams have shown they can adjust and still play darn good basketball uh, without such an individual. Um, I think Stevens Point showed that a little bit last year without Bobolitz. Uh, we certainly can show you some other examples. Uh, at the same time, let's not overhype teams who get out to to hot starts. Sometimes things are just clicking out of the out of the gate, coming out of the preseason pretty well for teams, and they are doing well. And then coaches start to figure out what they're doing, and things change. That's one of the reasons the top twenty five poll won't come out. Um, I don't think until the the Monday before Thanksgiving, if my memory serves. I forgot to look that up before we before we started recording. And the reason for that is there's just there's not going to be enough games. As much as we're starting early, there still won't be enough data, and we don't want to be um, gut-shotting it on, on little data. G- granted, it allows that preseason poll to, to linger a little bit, and if teams have been taking some hits, that might be tough. But I get the understanding that we don't want to vote, for example, on Monday with very little games played, and voting the next Monday might be tough because we still, NESCAC will have only played a handful of games so am I going to be out there trying to vote about a NESCAC team in men's or women's basketball with one or two games under their belt versus, oh, I don't know, a Nebraska Wesleyan who might have four games under their belt by the time we're voting at that point in the 18th? And Nebraska Wesleyan will actually have five games under their – oh, I had the Doan game. I forgot. Uh, four games. By the way, Nebraska Wesleyan handled Doan 79-66 in uh, an exhibition game. Yes, doesn't count, and I don't get hyped on exhibition games either. But that one's a significant outcome, to say the least. I think that shows Nebraska Wesleyan is as good, at least early this season, as everyone expected. And something else I'll say, and Dale Wellman said it on the show, let's not pretend that the top teams in Division Three men's basketball are going to go unfazed. I do not vote. I no longer vote. I may have voted back in my earlier days that the number one team should be undefeated. I expect the number one team to take losses. I expect everybody to take losses. It's who they lose to, how they lost, and what ramifications are there. Are there injuries? Are th- was there a, a, a streak of games? Is that team maybe better than we anticipate? There's a lot of factors there on whether I will change my number one vote. With that said, and you'll hear this mentioned a few times already on one show and now tonight, no preseason men's basketball team ranked number one has won the national championship by staying number one throughout the season. In other words, yes, we've had a preseason number one win a national championship, but somewhere in between those two points, they were not the number one team in the country on one of 15 or 16 polls. On women's basketball, it's happened often, but on men's, it has never happened. The question is, does Nebraska Wesleyan stay number one the entire season with the idea that they may take losses and Dale Woman expecting them to take losses? Or will someone else take that number one spot for a period of time, assuming, of course, that Nebraska Wesleyan repeats as national champs? That will be an interesting thing to watch out for 
on the men's side. On the women's side, I think we're going to see more losses in the top five than we're used to. Amherst has won 66 straight games. I'm not so sure they can go 99-0 and this season, assuming 33 more games. Uh, they lost some good talent from that squad. I'm not positive they can go the entire way, especially with a very good Tufts team in their conference and a very good Bowdoin team in their conference. And when you hear Gordon and I talk about it, Amherst is going to have to play those two teams on the road. That's another dynamic here to the NESCAC season. Gordon breaks that down far better than I in that segment is coming up. And speaking of which, we'll wrap up this segment. Up ahead, Gordon Mann talks about the women's top 25. We'll then talk to Jim Calhoun of St. Joseph's of Connecticut to talk to him about why he's so passionate and why he wants to lead this St. Joseph's program and why they may be better than you think they might be as a first-year program. Then Ryan Scott joins me to talk about the men's side of the Top 25 and beyond, and then we'll be back here to wrap things up. You're listening to Hoops Hope, presented by D3Hoops.com for the WBCA and ABC studios, of course, presented by D3Hoops.com. You can follow us on Twitter, at D3Hoopsville and hashtag Hoopsville. We're also on Instagram, at D3Hoopsville. You can email us, hoopsville at d3hoops.com, and you can join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash hoopsville. While we're not live tonight, use those social media avenues in the future if you would like to send us questions, send us guest ideas, or just share your opinions on Division Three basketball. We will certainly do our best to reply to your questions, answers, thoughts, etc., um, and interact with you as best we can. But also those avenues are how you can find out what's happening on an upcoming show. And with that, we'll take a break. When we come back, Gordon Mann joins me to talk about the women's top 25 and beyond. You're listening to Hoopsville. Back with more after this. got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. For the love of the game, but for those of us who are Division III student-athletes, it's more than that, a lot more. Sure, the game is important, but as we work so hard to build both mind and body, it's more about team. That is why NCAA Division III teamed up with Special Olympics, and in giving the gift of sport to those for whom it seemed an impossible dream, we are working to make this a better world. Help us keep that dream alive. You can make a difference. Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody, on this special pre-taped edition. Uh, just a second show out of the gate, and we're already in pre-taped shows. Uh, it's because the season has started, and that means I've got a game as well. But welcome back to the show. Hope you're enjoying it. Uh, if you've got questions for us, you can always ask us for us, whether we're pre-taped or live. Tweet us at D3Hoopsville, hashtag Hoopsville. You can, uh, you can use Facebook, facebook.com slash Hoopsville. And, of course, uh, Hoopsville at D3Hoops.com is our email address. Lots of ways of getting in touch with us. You can even follow us on Instagram at D3Hoopsville there. As well, we'll be back with live shows on Sunday evening. Guest list to be determined. All right, so let's talk women's basketball. Preview a little bit of what's going on here in this upcoming year. We're coming off a season where, once again, Amherst is the national champions. They've won 66 straight. We talked to G.P. Gromacki 
on the last show about what he expects out of his mammoths. But interestingly enough, the NESCAC's got three teams in the top six. There's some interesting other uh, teams in the top 25. There's also a lot of teams being voted on this year in the preseason top 25. When we talk women's basketball and we want a national point of view of it, we always turn to our colleague Gordon Mann, and he joins us on the Hoopsville Hotline. And Gordon, thanks for taking the time, buddy. My pleasure, Dave. Yeah, so I kind of said it there at the beginning. Um, the top 25 sees a few more teams than we we probably are normally used to getting votes, which is always nice to see. Um, but it, it starts at the top, and that's Amherst, and interestingly, Bowden's number two. Yeah, I was surprised that Bowden, uh, that Bowden came in second. I, I'm not surprised with Amherst. They graduated uh, a couple of starters. They basically graduated their front court from last year, but they returned their backcourt and, and uh, two of the three players in the backcourt are all Americans. Uh, <laughs> so they're, you know, that there's, uh, and they, they are a team that's built around um, having lots of interchangeable, similar players. They're kind of, there's an Amherst prototype where they're going to be a certain height, and a certain length, and they're going to play a certain way. Uh, and then you'll have one or two forwards who play a little differently, but they're basically, you know, five or six really talented wing players. Um, and I, I think Amherst, has gotten into that territory where Washington University was, well, now it's quite a few years ago now, yeah. so 18 years ago, where Ooh. I'll believe they'll lose. I'll, I'll believe they'll lose when I see someone beat them, yeah. you know, that, yeah. that sort of thing. I, I, you look at their roster and say, well, this person's gone and they were an All-American and that person's gone and they were a tournament MVP, but they um, they have shown the ability to just reload and, and GP Kroger-Mackey, um you know, I, I think gets the most out of his talent of any coach in, in Division Three, and he's got a lot of talent there. So yeah. um, that doesn't mean that they'll go undefeated. Uh, but I, I think until you, if someone beats them, um, I can't. I couldn't make a credible case for someone else being number one. Um, you know, for Bowden, that surprised me. They graduated uh, the National Player of the Year, Kate Kerrigan. Um, the, the one thing they did show in their tournament run. Uh, in addition to beating everybody other than Amherst by huge margins, was they showed a lot of depth. Abby Kelly played really, really well. Uh, Taylor Choate, who's their point guard, played really, really well. And while they were undeniably better when Kate Kerrigan was on the floor, they didn't need her to be on the floor to be very, very good. So um, I think the voters probably looked at that, and even though they graduated the player of the year um, with the with the, the margins of victory they had over really good teams last year, um, I had them, I think I had them six on my ballot, but I'm, I wasn't too surprised to see them come in second. I was surprised to see them get a couple of number one votes. That I don't understand at all. <laughs> That's why there's 25 voters in the poll. Yeah, there's, they got two. St. Thomas got one. Chicago got one. Interesting enough, the last time Amherst lost, if anyone's trying to figure this out, it was 2016. It was in the semifinals of the national tournament against Tufts. That was the year. That we went to uh, Indianapolis with the women's championship, and Abby Owings and Sydney Moss of Thomas More had a pretty good battle against Tufts. That's the last time Amherst lost, Gordon. Um, yeah, and it, and it, you and hit, it took a yeah. it took something like a forty point effort from oh, Sydney yeah. Moss to beat them. So um, yeah, that's the that's the last time they they lost. That uh, that both seems and is a long time ago. Yes, do listen. Let's be honest. I think the Nescacs can be tougher. I thought last year they were going to lose in the Nescac, and they didn't. Um, is there, is there a chance anybody can knock off this, this mammoth squad? You mentioned what they've lost, but you also mentioned what they bring back. Oh yeah. I think, I, I think with, with Amherst, the one advantage, the one really big advantage they had last year is I think they played both Bowden and Tufts at home, uh, 
Uh, remember the NESCAC only does the single round rob, and other than the game, you know, Amherst will play Williams and Wesley and twice. Um, but last year they got both of those games at home. They won both of them. They were both competitive. And then once that happens, they're pretty much home until the final four. They're right. home for the net. Right. They're going to be home for the NESCAC tournament unless they lose in the semifinals, which is unlikely. They're going to be home in the first for the first four games of the NCAA tournament, unless it's a year where they have to go on the road because, you know, well, the men, the men need to be competitive. Right. So, yeah. Right. So, um, that there have been a number of years where Amherst has played most of, if not all of their games, they're, they're really tough games at home uh, right. until they get to the final four. And then that's not the case this year. Uh, they have to go to Bowdoin. Mm-hmm. I believe they have to go to top. They do back to back. Uh, and it, yeah, and in that conference, you could lose one or either of those te- uh, of those of uh, one or both of those games, and then be on the road True. for the NESCAC tournament. Yeah, they're taking on Bowden on the, on uh, January twenty sixth on the road, and then the next week, February first, they're on the road against Tufts. Um, yeah. So now Bowden's on the back end of a Colby game, and Tufts is at the front end of a Bates game. So interesting scheduling there, but you're right. They're, they're going to have to to do those two on the road and that'll, well, certainly we've already circled those dates. Um, yep. Let's talk a little bit more about the top 25. Talked about more teams getting votes this year. Certainly nice to see uh, some interesting, you know, we have the usual group as it were. I mean, Warburg was 15th, despite losing a lot, uh, but again, off a great year, but you also have some new teams in here. We talk about parody on the men's side. We talk about parody about good teams last year, great teams this year. I, I, I always think of the Nancy Faye quote, which she gave me, maybe it was 18 years ago, uh, about how many, <laughs> how much recruiting's changed because there's so many good girls, as she called them, playing the game now. I dare not get into the parody side on women's Gordon. as much as we get more voters, you still have so much dominance at the top. Yeah, you really do. I, I, I think it's still, I think for women's basketball, um, it's still really a program dominated sport, not just division three, but think about division one as oh, well. Sure. You know, if you pull the sports illustrated or whatever off the shelf from 15 years ago, the top 10 or 15 is not going to look a whole lot different True. than the top 10 or 15 does now. And I think that's a, a byproduct of, of, um, uh, coaching longevity. You know, you don't have coaches going up to coach in the NBA. You know, they, they tend to stay at their programs uh, for a longer period of time. You have, um, I think there were the deep recruiting bases that these, these schools develop. And, you know, on the men's side, you get one or two really super talented players and that's enough to elevate your program and, and to kind of give it a kickstart. And on the women's side, if you get one or two really talented players, but you don't have the depth around them, that means you're the middle of a pack team and a in a good conference and a good team and a bad conference. So mm-hmm. I think you, you still continue to have those sorts of, uh, uh, that sorts of program dominance. So it, whereas in the men's side, you look at, okay, who's the best team in Wisconsin or the CCIW or the NESCAC, and you know, those teams are going to be pretty good here. You don't, you don't focus as much on conferences. You look at the top programs and, you know, Scranton's been good for decades. Tufts has been good for a long time. George Fox has been good for a long time. Illinois Wesleyan's been good for a long time. And you, you get those kind of, uh, that kind of uh, success begets success. You know, the recruiting and the playing more games and, and the alumni excitement. And it becomes harder to uh, dislodge those teams sure. out of the top. And, and I think in any given year, you really have you know, seven to eight teams who could win the title and you've got, a core group who are in there every year. And then, but you do have two or three 
new schools who get into that group and, and have a chance that you look at and you go, yeah, this, this team could win the national championship. And that's mm-hmm. how, when you look down the list of championship winners, you get, you know, your FDU Florums and your, mm-hmm. your Wilmingtons and, and, and schools that are not traditionally powers in those sports. Speaking of FDU Florum, of course, we're going to be watching a program that's not going to look the same anymore after their three no. top stars and head coach <laughs> left for D1. Yeah. Yeah, yeah uh, those programs, they can also go the other way. Yeah, yeah, real quick. Uh, nice also to see a lot of teams getting some recognition from the voters, whether it's an Emory and Henry and Randolph-Macon who are into the top 25, even Gettysburg uh, with a significant step up into the top 25, or other teams you see in the receiving votes category. So the top might be dominant, but at least voters seem to see that the not the middle necessarily, but the next level, the next tier certainly has a lot of good teams. Yeah, I think that's true. Once you get past, say I would say the twelfth or eleventh slot in the poll, maybe a little maybe a little higher than that. I think you have a you have a lot of teams there um who have a chance to be very good. And I was uh, I was encouraged by the number of votes that teams that weren't in the top twenty five uh, received. Um the number of teams that received votes is a better way to say that. Yeah. They have you know last year you had such a consolidation, not just in the top three or four slots, but almost all the way down to the poll, where there were a couple of weeks where literally no teams moved at all. It was or, you know, 25 dropped out and 26 came in, and the next week they just switched places again. Um, and the voters ended up being right. The teams that were ranked highly won. It's not like, um, with the exception of East Texas Baptist, it's not like they really missed anything, but um, I you know, as the person administering the poll, you prefer to see a large base and then filter down as opposed to a small base and maybe miss a bunch of stuff. Sure. So um, there were a, there were a lot of, 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 of schools that got votes in the officer receiving category um, that were not necessarily one of the schools we requested information from. Mm-hmm. And that's good. That means the voters are engaged. That means they're seeing teams in their conference or their region and saying, hey, this one has a chance to be really good or this one has a chance to be a lot better and, and uh, putting them out there. And now those, those teams will, will get attention too. Yeah. It, it's nice to see. You're right. Uh, to see voters look outside the box as it were to some degree. Uh, what yep. are you, what are you looking for this year uh, with women? I mean, we obviously talked about the top side of this, but uh, is there anything you're keying on maybe early in the season or throughout the season that, that you, you especially are watching? Yeah, I think a couple storylines from kind of a national perspective. One, uh, for a school that's not at all in the top 25 and, and one that's sort of easy to miss um, because of, of where they are and just the sheer number of schools around them. You know, Andy Osinoff will go mm-hmm. for the, at some point this year, uh, he will break Mike Strong's record for the most wins in uh, Division Three women's college basketball, and that will be uh, fun fun to watch because Emmanuel – which plays in, in the GNAC, which is not a particularly good conference for women's basketball, although it has St. Joseph's of Maine, which is ranked this year. Um, he plays a, a very aggressive non-conference schedule. He'll play, um, you know, he'll play Tufts or Amherst or Bowdoin or all three if he can get them all and yeah. play at NYU. Um, so uh, I don't know when he'll get the record. <laughs> he'll get it eventually. Um, but that'll be a fun storyline to watch. He's, uh, I know you've talked to, yep. to Coach Yosinoff before. He's, He's a very energetic, very passionate guy, um, and at some point, you know, uh, we'll, we'll we'll highlight that that achievement. <laughs> um, so that's one thing. I, I think uh, if you're thinking of programs who can be a national, who has a chance to win a national championship, that's not among those kind of core programs. Uh, I think Chicago is, mm. is a is a is a good program to watch. 
They return a lot. And that's a program that's never really had much success in the, in the deeper rounds of the NCAA tournament. And they've never been to the Final Four. I'm not sure. They, I think they've been to the Elite Eight once yeah, uh, the yeah. year they lost to St. Thomas. But that is a program that has kind of perpetually played second fiddle to Wash U or Rochester or right. NYU or heaven happens to be good. And this year, at least on paper, it looks like it's their year. So um, they, that, that could be the, you know, the, the Wartburg of a couple of years ago where you see a team that doesn't necessarily have a history of success uh, have a deep run. Uh, I think you've got a lot of teams in the South this year mm. in the poll, and it'll be interesting to see. They don't play a lot of cross-regional or, or regional crossover, but you know, East Texas Baptist, Texas Dallas, Emory and Henry, Randolph-Macon, these are all South region schools. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see if they can uh, consolidate and, and, and run the table in their own conferences and then, and then go deep um, in the NCAA tournament. And kind of the last storyline, because, again, these storylines – in women's college basketball tend to be about programs and individuals as opposed to kind of conference races, who's going to win the, this conference or that conference. You know, with a few exceptions, you sort of know who's going to win the conference. Right. Um, the other one is, uh, is Thomas Moore, uh, which will play its last yeah. season of, of Division Three women's basketball. And they have been a good athletic program in a lot of sports. They've had a good football team. They've had a, a respectable men's basketball team. Um, but they're a national power in, in women's basketball, uh, they will be, you know, they'll they'll play a barnstorming uh, schedule this year, <laughs> um, and then they're gone. And so, uh, you know, one last season to watch them play. They have one of the best game day atmospheres in in women's college basketball. Uh, they have one of the best players in Madison Temple. They have a really good coach, uh, and you know, schools make the jump to Division Two or NAIA on occasion. It doesn't happen all that often, but I can't remember the last time a school was really a powerhouse yeah. in basketball who made the jump. I guess, you know, Texas Tyler won the baseball tournament. They'll make the jump, too. But aside from that, you know, with Benedictine not going and Benedictine men aren't at Thomas More women's no. level in terms of national success, it's rare to see a program, you know, one of the core five or six teams that can win the title every year just not be around anymore. So yeah. it'll be, it'll be fun to watch what they can do uh, in their, in their grand finale here. Well, it'll also be interesting because they're in the pool B conversation. So is the entire AEC, which includes Marymount right. and Cabrini. I, I'm not yeah. trying to, I'm not going to single Cabrini out in this case. You never know when they may reemerge. Yep. Um, I'm, I'm leaning towards Thomas Moore on paper right now, but that's an interesting, we actually have a pool B conversation for, for yeah. a change. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that. And by the way, the other thing too, we don't normally, you know, women's coaching changes have certainly in the last couple of years been newsworthy. Nancy Fay obviously leaving uh, right. for D one, and 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 some other coaching changes over the years. I don't remember the last time we had a, a powerhouse or at least a recent powerhouse program um, fire their coach right before the season. Uh, we're yeah, still kind of reeling from the trying the news. <laughs> yeah, you do. You have, from a coaching change perspective. Um, you're right. Uh, the change at Trine was very sudden. Um, all I know is what you know. Yeah, uh, you which know, isn't much. The, which isn't much about, but it doesn't sound good. And nope. It happened very quickly, right? So yeah. if, if, if Ryan Gould was suspended on the 16th and fired or you know, had his contract terminated 14, 15 days later, yeah. that, that says something. So that will be a change over because that conference is tough. Hopes, hopes one of the core elite teams and even Calvin has a chance to be pretty good. Yeah. So um, there's, there's, 
that's another one of those conference where the conference tournament, who wins the conference comes down to four games throughout the year, you know, between those probably three schools and maybe, maybe one other one, but that's to see how, how Trine reacts to their coaching change, uh, you know, other end of the spectrum, uh, two people who are, have had success at division three in different places. Uh, Kendra Hassel who moved from Texas Tyler to Harden Simmons. And we'll try and, you know, rejuvenate her alma mater. Um, Olivia Lett who became the head coach at Milliken and we'll try and, and get that program um, going in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are, those are, those are uh, program and head coaching changes in terms of from a program development perspective worth it, worth watch and why you had a change in its head coach. Uh, that's that's another one worth yeah. uh, worth watching to see. Those are those are either people who've had success at the Division three level or programs that have had success, um, and you know, in all three cases, not as much of it recently. So sure. um, we'll see if they're able to, you know, on the theory that women's college basketball is a program dominated sport. We'll see if they're able to get those programs back to those points. Of course, you look. You know, just you don't have to look that far. Scranton. Now, you mentioned Mike Strong earlier right. with the records and yep. Trevor Woodworth. Woodworth. Sorry, Trevor. Apparently, I've got something in my mouth that keeps me from saying that. Um, <laughs> right. Stepped right in and, and certainly has had success with with that program uh, right yeah. out of the of the gate. Which you know, you talk about programs. It's about recruiting. It's about name recognition and stuff like that. And that certainly helps. We'll see where those programs end up. Uh, appreciate the time. And one last thought before we before we let you go. Obviously, <clears throat> women are headed to Salem uh, to Roanoke College, though this time, <laughs> not the Salem Civic Center. By the way, if you've never been to Roanoke College's Crenshaw, uh, it is a beautiful facility. Um, I know that's probably where you're going. I don't want to start stepping on any of our plans because we haven't thought that far in <laughs> advance. But but we're just assuming our usual split. Right. Yeah. That, that you know that. The women now get to experience the Salem experience. You've had that Salem experience. This will certainly be yeah. a nice kind of tip of the hat to the women, I think. Yeah, I think it's the the you know the downside of having the women rotate is you don't get to build up the you yes. know the community cachet and you know we've the, all the all the things that Carrie Harvey Cutter and his crew have learned over the years where they can do it a little better, a little different each year. If you only host it twice, you don't get to do that. Right. Um, but this is this is obviously a group that's hosted stag bowls and men's basketball championships, and softball, and lots of other things Across over the years. Soccer, yeah, yeah. So they will they bring all of that experience into the mix, uh, and 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 for the since you do tend to have the same programs going to the final four, yeah. with frequency, the the kids who are on those teams uh, do get to see something different. You know, you can go to the final four four years in a row and you go to three different cities. So uh, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Um, I have been, I haven't been on Roanoke's uh, in in Roanoke's new facility, but yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, I, I I think the, um, you know, you can, you can, there's some good to be had from the final four site rotating around in addition to the disadvantages of it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And by the way, they've only handed out like something like 80 plus national championships inside Salem. Uh, proper. Yeah, <laughs> it's not well, like they don't there, have any. There experience. won't be any concern about you know <laughs> a community who wasn't ready for it, yeah. didn't kind of get the magnitude of it, right. oh. missed something key on the logistics. That's what? the benefit of having of having Salem do this. Is all that stuff is so deeply embedded in in the knowledge of their uh, of the uh, administrative staff and the volunteers there that um, they will be able to kind of take that next step and say, okay, 
what else can we do? We know about doing these you know, kind of basic things. Yeah, month out from a particular championship. I don't know what you're hinting at. Um, appreciate your time, buddy, as always. Love sure. chatting with you. We'll try and get you on the show a little bit more often, but I uh, appreciate the time you always give. Um, any final thoughts you want to give to those who are tuning in tonight? No, well, thanks. Thanks for those folks who are who are tuning in. The, uh, you know, this early in the season, yes. you know, and you're, you've got college basketball, you've got uh, or men's college basketball, you've got college football, you've got all kinds of stuff going on out there. We're getting closer to the holiday season. For those who are, you know, downloading it on their their podcast or listening live or whatever it is, uh, you know, we appreciate the we appreciate the support this time of year. I know the student athletes do too because college basketball. Um, it's easy to sort of ignore it or to set it aside until January 1st. And I know the coaches and the players don't. And, uh, you know, we, we, they, they appreciate the attention too, I'm sure. Well said. Absolutely well said. Well, thanks very much. Take care of yourself. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Take he, care, Dave. He is Gordon Mann, obviously of D3hoops.com, breaking down the women's side of things. Appreciate him taking the time. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll break down the men's side eventually here on the show. Ryan Scott will join me as well. We'll also talk to a head coach of a brand new program. Have you heard of Jim Calhoun? We have too. We talked to him coming up as well. You listen to Hoops Show presented by D3Hoops.com from the WNBWBCA and ABC Studios. Back with more after this. It's on us to stop sexual assault. In any way that we can. To get a friend home safe. To never blame the victim. It's on us. To stand up. To make our community safe for all. It's on us. It's on us to look out for each other at parties. It's on us. To be more than just a bystander. To step up and say something. It's on us, all of us, to to stop stop sexual sexual assault. Learn how and take the pledge at itsonus.org. This is why we love sports. It's in the way they play, free from the pressures and all the money talk. Playing for simply the love of the game, where everyone has a shot at their definition of success on and off the field. This is what we love about sports and what we can still love about college sports. Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody, on this uh, special pre-taped edition of the Thursday show. Again, season starting, and I've got basketball games myself. Hope you're enjoying this program. We'll be back live on Sunday at 7 o'clock Eastern. Uh, Talked women's basketball with Gordon Mann just there. We're going to slide a little bit more towards men's basketball. And, of course, one of the big topics uh, for really more than a year now has been the new program coming to St. Joseph's of Connecticut, another St. Joe's in Division Three, as that school transitions from single-sex to co-ed, certainly something I'm familiar with, having been a Goucher alum. Uh, and the bigger splash, though, is they hired as a consultant at first and eventually a head coach, the famed UConn and Hall of Fame coach Jim Calhoun. Couldn't resist the opportunities they enter their first year to discuss that topic. And joining us on the Hoopsville Hotline is the aforementioned Jim Calhoun. Sir, thanks for taking the time. My pleasure, and uh, I'm glad to hear and have heard before about it, though I haven't been personally involved and about you doing a great job of taking small colleges and giving them some uh, media outlet and get people aware of what's some good basketball. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, we certainly do it as a labor of love, which very much 
I mean, I've covered sports outside of Division Three as a as a producer for a long time and a and a talent. I know you love basketball, but I'm really getting a sense from what I've read about this St. Joseph's program. You really, I mean, you 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 have a passion for being a coach. You you just couldn't resist the opportunity to get behind, get back on the bench, really. Well, I think the biggest thing after coaching as a graduate assistant when I was in grad school for two years, and then four years ahead high school coach, and then. Uh, 40 straight years of Division One head coaching. When I stepped down, I was fortunate enough to go to ESPN, enjoy doing I had a good four years in the Big Ten for ESPN, but it was all great, but it wasn't satisfying my uh, great desire to be with kids and hopefully uh, uh, build something within those kids and certainly within a program. In this particular case, uh, combining that with uh, making sure that we did everything to try to enhance what would really is a terrific uh, small university, and that's that St. Joseph's. So all it put together, here I am. Some people may wonder, scratch their heads, why St. Joseph's? I know through my uh, research, it, I picked up on a thing that I found interesting. Your former um, player is the athletics director at St. Joseph's. Can you just kind of give everybody a quick synopsis of how this kind of all you know snowballed, as it were? Well, Bill Cotterelli, who's about four years younger than me, um, would love to be called a former player. <laughs> he actually worked as an assistant gotcha. in my first year at UConn, but that's fine. A former associate of mine, without question, through basketball. He was asking me about names for his job, gave him some names, talked to some guys, looked at the situation. Step by step, I then met Rona Free, Dr. Free, our, our uh, president, and then uh, Skip Jengris, the head of our board of trustees, and realized with her getting her master's and Ph.D. from Notre Dame, she knew about academics and branding of athletics, which are two important things here to do at St. Joe's. And thus, I became sold that, that I missed the game so much and the kids so much that I wanted to come back and hopefully uh, help St. Joe's establish a men's program and an athletic program. And uh, that's why I'm here. And um, thus far, you know, since we're undefeated, uh, I enjoyed every bit of it. <laughs> well put. Uh, very well put. That will certainly possibly change. you got your first game coming up on November 9th. You'll take on William Patterson up at Trinity of Connecticut. Curious what the scheduling was like for you. We'll get to the students and all that in a minute, but since your game's coming up, what was it like to schedule? What Did you have trouble getting your games in? Did, obviously, you have conference you know, I, games. I, 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 yeah, I, I think that, that we didn't have trouble per se, but we really had difficulty in getting people to no one wanted to play our first game. Because mm-hmm. the emotion of it, I'm sure it would be a lot for a lot of people. We had to move the game at Trinity. I think we already have like 1,800 or 2,000 tickets sold. And our gym doesn't hold that much. It only holds about 800. And we're building a brand new one, which we got approved for about three months ago. And we're building a new facility, which we hope to be in within a year and a half. But bottom line right now, we don't have that. So thus, we're playing at, at, at Trinity. And, and you know, I, and, but scheduling, um, obviously, I know the coaches at Trinity very well and Wesley and the Riley, the Coach Riley's a good guy, and a lot of people that I do know, Dave Hickson's a good friend from Massachusetts days. His dad and I were very good friends. But, um, you know, so it, was a, it wasn't a hodgepodge, but we're, you know, we'll have a good lead because led by Albertus Magnus and Johnson Wales, mm-hmm. who have been the leaders over the last five or six years. But uh, so we have a built-in schedule with our league. Right. But, you know, it, it, we've got an interesting uh, collection of teams, one of them being William Patterson, who I believe um, lost you know, some couple of good players, but mm-hmm. was in that large bid in the Division Three tournament last year. So we have some work cut off first, but uh, um, it's been interesting, let's put it that way, and, and, and kind of uh, helping me get a better look at the uh, total uh, field of what Division Three basketball is all about. Uh, you talk about the coaches there. Uh, you certainly name dropped some of the best in Division Three in the New England area. Yeah, how much have you interacted with coaches in your region over the over the years? Not necessarily just in this build up with St. Joseph's. Well, 
mean, I started at UMass and then leave home, leave uh, as a basketball player, and then transferred to a small school, AIC. In the 60s, mm-hmm. uh, we met the my senior year. We, met, we went to the second round of the NCAA tournament. And uh, my default, I'm sorry, my junior year and my senior year, we lost to a guy named Walt Frazier at Southern Illinois in <laughs> Division II title. Kind of good. So, so I got to know about small college basketball in that regard. But Division III is a little different. No scholarships. Uh, some really old schools with great tradition, and so it's really, really been interesting. But you know, I've always considered myself a New England guy and a Boston guy, and now a Hartford, Connecticut guy, but a New England guy most importantly. Mm-hmm. And I've been to a lot of places, a lot of different gyms. I was at Northeastern, where we were Division Two, going to Division One. Um, so I guess I've been through change before in that regard. And I think the biggest thing is that. The one thing I've found, after we've played uh, Fisher and we've played Brandeis the other day at Brandeis in exhibition games. I got a good feel of, uh, you know, pretty good place in Division Three. And I know I saw the regionals last year up here at Easton, yeah. Connecticut. So I think I have a pretty solid feel about um, somewhat the talent level. It's pretty good. I know the reasons why St. Joseph's, but Division Three is a different beast. You know, Jim O'Brien, who was at Ohio State, came, and, and Emmanuel had some success. We've had some other coaches especially in New England, who have been former D1 or NBA experience and come to Division Three, not necessarily succeeded. But why? Why? Do, what's driving you about Division Three that, that you find so intriguing? Well, it was a perfect location in the sense that we've never had a program before. You sure. In August, before August 28th, we've never had any males on campus except for graduate students. Mm-hmm. And this is a big, big... When someone says scratch the surface, I had to dig down six feet to get to the surface because we've never had a program here yeah. before. Our gym was ill-equipped, not necessarily because it was a bad gym, but just a lot of things we needed to do there. Mm-hmm. Every single turn, uniforms, everything we have to do is, is, is a start over. And I like projects, and this will be a successful project. We expect to be good eventually. But uh, right now we're just concentrating on putting all the pieces together recruiting for the future, although we have 12 freshmen right now and mm-hmm. two, two transfers. So we, we're, we're not necessarily a, a true varsity team. We're more of a freshman team. Sure. But with that said, you know, once we get to the court, we'll do the best we can. But I'm, I'm happy with the kids we have. And uh, I, I think location, President Free's enthusiasm and plan to go forward, uh, I like the location a ton. I think I have a lot of contacts, certainly in the Northeast New England, and they've come uh, come to, to bear fruit for us as far as getting players. On paper, it clearly seems recruiting has been successful. You have at least one, if not more, players who tried their hand at Division One. It didn't work out. Um, you certainly have a lot of numbers, as you point out. I read that you've been scouring the prep school region, certainly something I'm familiar with. Is that because of Jim Calhoun? Is that because the school's going co-ed and there's an opportunity, a door opened, as it were? Maybe a combination of both. All of the above and probably more. I mean, I just think simply, like anything else, you got to put a front porch on the university. Mm-hmm. When I first came to UConn, the biggest thing we needed to do was that we play in the greatest conference in America, the Big East. And it's coached by guys like John Thompson, Roley mm-hmm. Massimino. And it produces an incredible amount of players. And even though they had five straight losing seasons before we got there, we were able to kind of get the people's perception of who we are, what we are, and since then UConn changed, certainly a lot basketball-wise. And I think here... You know, very simply, I'm sure that notoriety helps. I'm sure that the, I think it was 19 first-round draft choices I had and 30 NBA players I had who played at least three years. Uh, that helped, no question. But I think once we got them to the porch, opened the door, and they saw St. Joe's, they saw great opportunities. I don't think there's any question about that. And, and you made a great point. It's a chance 
a restart for a couple of kids and an opportunity for some very young kids. Sure, absolutely. Uh, there's going to be different refereeing. I'm, I'm going to warn you now. Uh, some of these guys have some <laughs> D1 experience, but they don't have a lot. What are your expectations moving forward, especially for the first game? Yeah, for in, in the first two games, I, I actually thought they're pretty good. I mean, uh, once again, the game is still played hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, the game is played a little more... Horizontal, I suppose. <laughs> Below the rim? <laughs> well, no. I mean, I've got, I've got a couple of six, nine kids that can really sure, get up. Sure, sure. But, but we're pretty athletic. But my point being is the game's played a little bit different, not because our kids aren't good. It's because, you know, I've, played, I've coached at different levels. But mm-hmm. more importantly, you know, if they're consistent, I, I shouldn't say they'll make me happy because officials never make coaches happy. <laughs> but, but I certainly would understand. Just be consistent, and you can make me a lot happier. What are your expectations for this team this season? Yeah. I have no idea. Yeah. I honestly mean sure. that. We yeah. beat Fisher by about 10. We had uh, Brandeis pretty good late in that game after leading by 14. They come back and tied it. And then we also go down the stretch 15-1 uh, to one to, to beat Brandeis at Brandeis. But I don't have any relationship. How does that relate to William Patterson? How does it relate to the rest of our league? I honestly have to say, and I don't usually, as an Irishman, I don't normally say this. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what that means. That's awesome. Um, when I saw this matriculating, one of the things I said to myself was, okay, this, this, you know, this, we're very sensitive in Division Three. We don't want something to be a gimmick. We don't want something to be done for the wrong reasons, et cetera. The more I read about this, the more I saw you involved, the more I realized you really are serious. But you've got to be getting those questions at the same time. How do you prove those out there to say, no, I'm doing this because I really want to do it, and it's not some gimmick for the school? I had no association except my daughter-in-law graduated from St. Joe's, number one. <laughs> number two, my accountants tell me, after doing the ESPN games and doing 35 a year and then my pay stuff here from St. Joe's, mm-hmm. it's not economic. I guarantee you that. <laughs> my accountant will tell you that. Uh, but my joy of the game, my love of the game, and I, I truly want to get this project and we think we have it by having 15, 16 kids in our program right now uh, off, off start and running. And like anything else, you want to make sure that that I would never leave here until we think it's in pretty good shape. And that's my goals. And if you don't believe it, as I said, give me a rationale why you'd want to go uh, night for a game, don't sleep as well. I've always done that. So whether we're going to play Villanova, whether we're going to play Duke, or whether we're going to play William Patterson, my sleep the night before was about the same. Have you leaned on any of the coaches you've, you mentioned in the past for, for Division three guidance, or are you guys coming in with fresh eyes, as it were, which may be a plus? We're fresh eyes, but Dave Hickson was a camper when I used to work for Sam Jones basketball camps with mm-hmm. his dad, who was a terrific coach, who was older than me, kind of a semi-mentor of mine. And so I, I, I went and had lunch with Dave. I went down, as I said, and saw the regionals. I've talked to a couple other coaches who I know from Division Three, And just because Ed Glenn Miller was a great division, National Division Three Coach of the Year uh, at, at Gone College when they went to the uh, uh, semifinals of the National Championship and lost in that year of 28-1. So we think we have a pretty good feel. I, I just don't know how good the teams are. That's the only thing I really don't know. Sure. I can appreciate that. Including mine. <laughs> well, yeah, I was <laughs> going to say, mine. the other thing, before we let you go, the other quick thing to, to adjust to is Division Three rules. You can't practice till October fifteenth. You barely can even you know be in the same basketball arena with them until October fifteenth. Now you're getting them ready. How how hard has it been to adjust to all of those? 
the most difficult thing, especially when you have an almost all freshman team, is to teach basketball and put a team together at the same time. You don't want to be somebody that doesn't look back at all the steps on the way. Conversely, you got to put a team together to play a game. You got to know late game situations. You got to know when we need to press. You need to know all the different things, game situational, yet you got to make sure that we're drop stepping right. You got to make sure that that we're defensively sliding. So that's the most difficult thing I've found. Um, If you don't mind, uh, before we wrap things up, we usually have this kind of uh, six, seven question uh, little quick thing with uh, coaches when they're on our NABC Coaches Corner. Figured we'd take advantage of that opportunity today, if you don't mind. They're always the same questions for everybody. We just love hearing the different responses. Do you mind having a little fun with us? Not at all. Cool. Uh, First thing, what's your favorite thing about coaching? The kids. Yeah. Uh, Biggest pet peeve? Where the game's changing from an all-dribble, no-pass, three-pointer, to the Mm. game I knew at one time. Sure. Good one. What's your favorite rule or maybe nuance of the game? I think I, I, I think that the uh, you know I think you should put the five second back in nuance they should put mm-hmm. back in to stop all the dribbling. Ah, I was just going to ask you what would be changed, added, or removed. That's a good one. I'm a, I'm definitely in favor of that one with you. Uh, do you have any pregame ritual or superstition? No, very simply, I normally like to just be down by myself. 10 minutes for a game on the clock, just watching it tick down, just getting my thoughts ready and go out and, and give my best for two hours. Awesome. This might open Pandora's box, but uh, what's your craziest travel experience? Oh, an awful lot. You know, I remember one time we played uh, Battle in Seattle against Gonzaga, beat them, and that night, as we were beating the snowstorm come in, it took us two and a half days to get out of there. And it, it did involve, like that famous movie, a, a plane, <laughs> a train, and an automobile. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, perfect reference. Uh, how would your assistants, especially one who's who's been under you for a while, a while in, in Glenn Miller, how would they describe you as a coach? Probably tough, probably demanding, tough on them and everybody else because why do something unless you're going to do it the best you can. Um, and then what do you tell recruits uh, that gets them excited or want or commits them to St. Joseph's? Well, the first year we said, you know, if you make the first basket in our game, you'll be our all-time leading scorer. <laughs> True. <laughs> That's a good spin. That's going to be a fight for that first shot. Um, and then finally, uh, this is kind of an interesting question considering your circumstance. When you retire, because you're going to retire again at some point, I suspect, what do you hope people will remember you as a coach? And that I made a difference in his life, just like coaches had made a difference in my life. I hope that I made some small difference in somebody's life. Wonderful. I appreciate the time. I really do. Good luck this season. As always, we give the coach the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those who may be tuning in? No, but people should come in Division Three. The one thing I was, I went down to the regions, as I said, Eastern Connecticut, mm-hmm. and saw some terrific basketball. And, uh, you know, guys in Division Three want to win just as much mm-hmm. as the guys in Division One. Yep. Well said. Appreciate the time. I really do. Thank you, for th- and uh, take care. Bye-bye. He is Jim Calhoun. He is the head coach of St. Joseph's of Connecticut. They will get things started off on the 9th against William Patterson at Trinity. They'll then take on Medgar Evers in their second game, and then former Division Three member Green Mountain will be their third game of the season. We'll keep an eye uh, on the Blue Jays the rest of the way. When we come back, we'll break down the top 25 and... Look ahead at the rest of the Division Three season with Ryan Scott. You listen to Hoopsville presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. More Hoopsville after this. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. 
Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. My name is Marcus Walker. I was All-State, won a state championship, a high school All-American, and played college and pro ball. I played because I love the game. I grind to be the best. I sweat because I put in work. I'm strong because I believe. When I want to bring it before game time, I come to the house that college basketball built, the CBE. No matter your skill, take it to another level. Elevate your game right here at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. And welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody, on this pre-taped Thursday edition. Hope you're enjoying it. Again, no video for this show. Uh, a little too complex, so we hope you're at least enjoying the audio version of our broadcast, which a lot of our podcast lovers do every time they listen to our show. If you got questions for us ahead of Sunday's show especially, you can always email us, hoopsville at d3hoops.com. I want to also point out, if you've got guest ideas, we welcome ideas from those of you out there, so email them to us as well. Also follow us on Twitter, at d3hoopsville, with a hashtag hoopsville. We're also on Instagram, at d3hoopsville, though we don't tend to follow that during the show. Facebook.com slash hoopsville is your other social media home for the program, and we thank you as well for uh, joining us there. All right, so continuing our conversation about men's basketball, we heard from Gordon Mann earlier uh, tonight regarding women's basketball, the top 25, what he expects. Well, we got to do the same in men's, and in recent years we have turned to our colleague Ryan Scott to do that, and he joins us on the Hoopsville Hotline. Ryan, good to have you as always. Welcome to the season. It's good to be back, Dave. I can't wait. Yeah, I know you can't. Though it's a little <laughs> earlier, and it's throwing me off, but we'll, we'll cover that another time. First and foremost, you and I both are top 25 voters, so this conversation is going to be a little bit different than the one I had with Gordon, considering he's the only voter in that conversation. But you know, let's talk about this top 25. For years, we've been talking about parity, and we hinted at what we were going to see this year. We have a lot of very good teams, and still a lot of teams voters are considering. Yeah, um, so many teams, and we, we, we got the proverbial uh, example last year, right, when Nebraska Wesley, right. and we knew they were good, but they weren't even ranked going into the tournament and won the whole thing. Yeah. So uh, they, they know better than anyone, even coming in number one, that that doesn't mean a whole lot with how much talent there is out there. Yeah, and, it, and I kind of enjoyed the top 25 this time because – for me, it was, it was okay, I'm eliminating teams that are good. That's, that's hard. But instead of me diving deep going, geez, who do I put in here? It's more about who, who do I want to put where? There's so many interesting storylines this year. There's so many good teams with a lot of talent returning. And you start at the top, Nebraska Wesley, and you and I talked in the summer. You know, that's, that's a darn good team returning, and they had it on. Yeah, the transfers coming in uh, are going to make a big difference. I, 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 because they had such a short bench, I, and you know, losing one guy is a big deal. But bringing in two really good transfers, uh, including another big guy, um, yeah, on top of the experience they've got, and I, I heard that they have a couple of decent freshmen coming in. A few got to play in their exhibition games, so um, s- strong chance to defend that title. I think. Absolutely. Of course, you have Oshkosh returned. Everybody you got a strong Augustana squad. Whitman brought back everybody and added on. I think they're almost the other version of Nebraska Wesleyan. 
Yeah, I mean, even deeper. That's going to be an upcoming story for me to talk about the depth that they have at Whitman and how they manage all of that. But really, to me, it's it's a chemistry issue for them. Um, if they can figure out where all the shots and the minutes are coming from for that team, they, they are going to be just uh, unbelievable. I've been looking forward to that and looking forward to some sleepless nights when I stay up late to watch those games. Other teams in the top 25 that jump out to me, obviously Whitworth jumping as high as they were. They have a lot returning there. Springfield, we know, with Jake Ross have a solid unit. Williams has injury guys like uh, Scadlock who are coming back who are going to be make them dangerous. You and I saw Hamilton in the NCAA tournament and know how good they are. But I jumped down to number 12 in Stevens Point. I said this in my blog. It's something that I think is holds true. No matter what is going on behind the scenes with, with Stevens Point, and it's still that investigation that remains open, when you have a core group of seniors under Bob Semling, you have automatically a dangerous team. Yeah, getting getting Bublitz back who missed the whole uh, season last year was you know one of the best players in the whole conference when he was playing. Um, it's going to make a big difference, and you know the same thing. It always goes with Stevens Point. If, if they've got guys who can play that defense the way Semling teaches it, and they don't have too many turnovers, they're going to be a contender. Yeah, absolutely. The Wyack battle is going to be fascinating, and it has already been the last couple of years. All right, so we know the Power Five conferences we always talk about for the most part, the WIAC, the CCIW, the UAA, the ODAC, et cetera. We know that a lot of good teams come out of that, but Ryan, something that's jumping out at me, especially with this preseason top 25, which I think is pretty solid this year, there's a lot of teams not in that Power Five. There's a lot of good talent elsewhere in this country. Yeah, it's coming from all over the place. And I think the voters are starting to have a confidence in some of those teams that maybe don't play as strong a schedule during the year, but have proven themselves in the tournament. And, and uh, we're willing to give more teams a chance. Is there anybody not in the top 25 or receiving votes? Granted, with so many teams, that might be a very difficult question to ask. But is there anybody you've got your eye on that either you didn't vote for or you you kind of considered that, that you think are going to be in the conversation you know, come December, January? So the one team I didn't vote for, they did get some votes. Um, I went to both nights of the Centennial Conference Tournament uh, last year, and I really felt like the young guys on Franklin and Marshall were really strong. Uh, they've got a lot of length and talent, some height there. I know they've relied on on a bunch of seniors that they graduated, so it looks like they're not bringing a lot back. But uh, those guys really rounded into form, and I thought they were, outside of Swarthmore, the best team uh, of the four in, in that conference tournament. And uh, I'm looking at them to surprise some people. But obviously with young guys, I, I wasn't quite ready to vote for them in the preseason, but I do think I expect a lot out of them this year. Uh, I'll admit, even watching them last year as close as I did, I, I was pretty impressed with the underclassmen at Franklin and Marshall, too. Is it, There's a few other teams I know you've got your eye on. You always like to find the diamonds in the rough, as it were. Anybody else? So Penn State Band, um, I've been keeping my eye on them for a couple of years. Uh, Coach's son, um, Nyland, I can't remember his first name all of a sudden. But <laughs> he's been the point guard there. Got hurt last year, which really derailed uh, a lot of what they were trying to do. But he he's back, as far as I know, senior year, ready to go. And they bring back basically the whole team uh, mm-hmm. from last year. And uh, I, I think, you know, obviously from that conference, you don't always know um, what you're going to get. But I think uh, they've had some success in the past, and I, I think it's a strong squad. And then, uh, of course, Yeshiva. I am the one vote for Yeshiva. Uh <laughs> I saw them last year. I've seen 
video of the kids that they're bringing in as freshmen this year. Um, I think that's a squad that can challenge people, and we're going to find out because they host Williams uh, early on this season. Yep, you're right. Absolutely. Uh, Dave Nyland is the head coach. Andy Nyland is the the son. I know that only because my son's name is Andy as well. Um, Yeah, a lot of good teams. I I second your point on Yeshiva. I think they've got a lot of talent, but I I was on a kind of a wait-and-see determination there's also the conversation about aloof we're not going to dive into that now but it, it looks like he's going to sit out this season um I, i'm intrigued with your penn state baron pick uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna note that file it away come back to it when i need to uh early on this season any games you're keying on um well i mean my opening night circle is the, the grinnell at nebraska wesleyan just for <laughs> the, the scoring pace of that um yeah uh, Williams and Yeshiva is going to be one that I'm looking at carefully because obviously Yeshiva gets a big win like that. They don't have a conference with lots yeah. of big names in it, so they're going to need that kind of performance. Um, yeah, I mean, I haven't gone too too far into it no. yet. We've been trying to get the season started, so uh, I'm sure there are a bunch of big games going on. Um, New Jersey City going to be interesting to see what they throw out on the floor. We keep hearing good things, but yeah. I want to see uh, what they've got there. Yeah, I agree. And, and you know what? That's the other thing too. Is a lot of these. It's we've been hearing good things, um, and you see good things, and, and we sometimes have to see them. You know, show up on the floor, as it were. And that's one of our favorite sayings. You know, okay, great, great recruits, but let's see them on the floor first before we get all excited about it. Anything else this season you're keying on? Is there a particular? I don't know, nuance this you're expecting this season, anything you tend to, to, to kind of put a list together every preseason that I know you're looking at for, for, you know, the rest of the year. Yeah. I, I mean, the big thing will, will be seeing how more teams are integrating the, the sort of NBA style uh, spacing um, that, that we saw. I mean, Nebraska Wesleyan and Oshkosh, both uh, were using uh, a lot of those principles last year, and it got them really far. Um, obviously, those are sorts of things that Grinnell has been doing at D3 for a really long time. Um, but, uh, it's, I mean, the NBA is proving that that's the way basketball is heading, and uh, I think you're going to see more and more uh, D3 teams move in that direction. We'll just see which ones do it and, and how they do it and, and what new wrinkles um we see during the year. I talked on the sh- previous show about uh, the number of guards uh, in the men's division three side of things and in the, in the difficultness we had, I had with the preseason all America <laughs> list where you, we left guys like Rose and others off of the all America list. Cause you, you had, I had like 15 more guards. I could have easily argued, tried getting into that thing, but not a lot of forwards. And I kind of hinted, Hey, maybe, maybe some of you guys ought to re reexamine who, how you label some players did you have i got there you have a similar take on that yeah i mean basketball is sort of moving away from positions right you've got you've got guys who have the ball in their hands a lot you've got guys who are working the perimeter and you just especially at d3 you don't have a lot of real post players anymore um and and the guard forward thing can be a little tricky because you got a lot of of players who are playing guard and forward um and so usually, especially at the end of the year, it's harder for a preseason. But usually at the end of the year, we try to we try to move guys from one to another as it as their game makes sense to do that. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean that, that is where basketball is going. We're not really seeing five position basketball anymore. You're seeing, you know, guys who can play three or four different positions, especially on the defensive end, and and they're being asked to do a lot more. Um, you got to have. 
You know, it seemed like everybody on Oshkosh was shooting threes last year. <laughs> true. The big guys. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I heard someone on the women's side tell me how they're going to have a center who's going to play point guard at times, depending on matchups. And it's not that the person's small; they're they're sizable. And just I'm thinking a point center. I mean, things are just evolving with the game so much. Yes, I'm still a proponent of having guards and forwards and all of that, and maybe we don't have a center, but and I still feel. But as you said, the forward doesn't have to have their back to the basket anymore, and it hasn't for a long time. And and the evolution of that has been pretty amazing to watch. Um, you had a pretty good article to start things off with your Around the Nation column regarding a lot of the coaching um, changes and significant coaching changes. I don't know of any time a national runner-up has lost their coach to a to another program. In Division Three, maybe a different division, sure. Um, what do you got working on next next uh, time around? As it were, next week. Well, I did a whole bunch of preseason interviews and trying to kind of work them into to different articles. But uh, there's two unique situations uh, in D3 that I'm going to highlight for the next article. One is the Whitman men um, talked to Coach Bridgeland for a while. He graduated <laughs> essentially one player who's a starter and mm-hmm. and brought in really five more. Um, he's got two guys who started on their final four run coming back from injury and um, he's got three transfers essentially coming in who are all really top-notch players. And so he's, he's having to balance basically 12 guys who could be starting. Mm. Um, and, and it's, you know, it's kind of a team that loses only one game a year the last few years. It's a little unfair, but it's a unique situation. Uh, and then the other one we're going to talk about is the Thomas Moore women. This is their last year in division three, yep. but they're doing it essentially as an independent. They're in the ACAA, yeah. but that's really just a conference tournament at the end of the year. And the awards, and so they yeah. have scheduled they have scheduled essentially all of their season by the second week of January. Mm. They're going to be playing 22 games in, in 59 days or something like that. And um, traveling, what, what did uh, Hans told me? Something like, uh, it's like eight games in 10 days across three time zones over mm. Christmas. So um, just to see how, how a team like that that's, holds up to the pressure Um so we'll be highlighting both of those teams in the next one. Just unique situations to be watching this year, and and uh, got a, a number of things in the works moving forward. Um, especially uh, a couple of coaches who are teaching uh, outside of the athletic department, teaching other subjects that I want to talk a little bit with, and um, uh, trying to highlight teams that maybe um, aren't going to necessarily be at the top of the top twenty-five but are good teams with good stories, and uh, that's what D3 is all about, right? Man. It's not just about the winning, it's about the playing. You always find the good stories, which is always fun to read about your stuff. Speaking of Whitman, there's a team that likes to call everybody Wings, uh, and yeah. Thomas Moore, <laughs> Gordon, and I talked earlier about how they, along with Marymount and maybe Cabrini, are that interesting Pool B conversation we never get to have, and we'll get to have it at least uh, this year, uh, as you said, as Thomas Moore uh, also finds a way to exit stage right um, as always, appreciate your time, sir. Um, don't want to leave you, though, with any other things that you may be uh, looking at or you want to make sure that the uh, viewers at home or listeners at home are maybe turning towards, you know, almost like a, hey, I told you so. Uh, you know, I'm excited for this year. There's two teams I want to mention real quick that yeah. we didn't talk about. Maryville, Tennessee yep. brings back everybody. They're True. all seniors. I voted for them. And- uh, they uh, drew Nebraska Wesleyan in the first round last year. Yeah, unfortunately. And so I don't think they're getting their due for how Agreed. good that team is. Agreed. Agreed. Um, 
I just want to mention that. And then the other one is Ramapo. Uh, we saw, uh, we sat next to each other mm-hmm. at the Final Four, and we know they graduated all five of their starters. Mm-hmm. And we were looking at each other going, those next five guys are pretty darn good. Yeah, they're good. <laughs> um, I, I think uh, as long as they brought in a couple of bench players, that, that they could be surprising. You know, uh, I, I think that's a really strong team as well. I'll say this. I think that NJAC race could be the last few years it's gotten more interesting than people have given it credit for. Uh, I think we've been so used to one or two teams and then everybody else. We're starting to broach into three, four teams now in that NJAC race. It's definitely upped its game. It's almost like the coaches have, well, one, we've gotten new coaches, but it's like the other coaches have all figured out the changes in the recruiting world and have really started to figure things out. And I'd also argue they figured out transfers being a staple while it helps at the beginning of the season doesn't help in the middle. And they're trying to be how good is Ramapo when they stick with a team all the way through versus putting three guys into the roster at Christmas. Um, yeah. Fascinating to watch. I, I think. Um, yeah. It, it, it should be a, a really great season. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, it, it boils down to that. It's going to be a fun season. I'm looking forward to it. You will join me. Uh, we haven't worked on all the details, but Ryan tends to join us on Sunday evenings. We'll figure out when we get that baby up and running. Um, but I appreciate your time, as always. As always, any final thoughts before we let you go? No, just to, uh, really excited for this new season. Uh, if you've got Roku or Amazon Fire or anything, most of the conferences now have channels. So mm-hmm. You can go and watch it right on your television. Uh, it's still the same quality you get on your computer, sure. but you don't have to go to the computer to see it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, That's why we've got a big screen in the studio now. Uh, to help us watch extra games. Thanks as always, my friend. I look forward to your next article, and we'll look forward to talking to you down the road. Thank you. And he is Ryan Scott joining us here on the Hoopsville Hotline. It's going to be a fun, fascinating uh, men's battle in the top 25. Remember this nugget? We mentioned it in the Nebraska Wesleyan interview. No team has started as a preseason number one, stayed number one all the way through, and won a national championship in men's basketball. It doesn't mean they don't win it, but somewhere along the line, somebody else becomes the number one team. This year could be really interesting to watch that play out, and and we even heard from Dale Wellman. He expects to lose games this season. Uh, we'll watch it all play out. When we come back, we'll put a, bo- a bow on the show, a couple other hot topics, other topics to discuss, and wrap things up ahead of the first night of the Division Three basketball season. You're watching, you're listening to Hoops Hope, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. More Hoops Hope after this. I did receive a non-athletic scholarship upon entering uh, school. I got the presidential scholarship, which was huge for me. I think there's more opportunities for academic scholarships in Division Three. I did receive academic scholarships. Just being involved on campus, being a leader, all those things combined kind of get me recognized a great experience for me. It starts right when you hit the court. You imagine your finest moment. The game-winning shot that gets you to the dance. A monster dunk or no-look pass. And cutting down the net. Sports lets us dream of our own success and prepare us for our finest moments on and off the court. Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody, here on a special Thursday tip-off edition of the show, which was pre-taped live due to the fact that I'm a little bit busy at a basketball game. I am Dave McHugh, 
And you are listening to the show from the WBCA and ABC studios presented by D3Hoops.com. And we keep saying this because we mean it. There are more sponsors and advertisers on the way for Hoops, which will give us certainly more security in the future with doing this program. However, I know many of you, fans, coaches, and the like, have said that you want to continue helping us do our programming, and we certainly appreciate that from the bottom of our heart. There will be an avenue for you to be able to do that as well in the near future. So we've had a pretty interesting show, a little bit of a preview, the show a little bit shorter than you normally would have as well, um, previewing both the men's and women's to some degree. There's 900 programs, roughly, a little less than, in Division Three on the men's and women's side. It's a little hard to preview everything. It's a little hard to nail down stories at this point in time, but we hope we gave you a little bit of a sense of what you can expect this season, especially with teams we're going to be talking about it quite a bit who are in the top 25 preseason. I kind of said it with Ryan. I'll say it again. The preseason top 25 can always be a little challenging when you're a voter, especially on the men's side. I think the women's side, in no disrespect, is a little bit easier. I am very happy to see that there's more votes on the women's side this year and more teams getting votes. But the men's side, is it can be really challenging. And I'll freely admit, I think there's been some top 25s in the last few years which have been maybe questionable. And I don't mean that in the sense that they weren't good and that, that voters weren't doing their homework. I just think that maybe it was the parity involved on the lower end of things, not having a lot of great teams, and it forced voters to look elsewhere for anything and anybody. Or maybe it was circumstances. I don't know. Circumstances, maybe. I, I'm not sure. But for whatever reason, I even would look at the top 25 going, oh, well, that's that team's awfully high or... Well, that team's not getting any attention or, huh, didn't even consider that. Why would they consider even those in the receiving votes category? This year seems pretty understandable. We can certainly make some arguments that maybe one team is too high or one team is too low. But when you start looking at the, the data behind those selections, it, it comes out and understandable. Um, I think we can always have the debate whether a team isn't appreciated enough from either a loyalist point of view or from a, a neutral point of view we can always have a debate that someone's overrated or underrated um, but I think this year's top 25 was pretty pretty good in giving you a barometer of the teams that are to be watched especially in the first few months of this season including those receiving votes um, I don't think Oshkosh being number two makes any sense I think the loss of Pat Yuckum is certainly more significant than people are maybe giving it credit. I understand his assistant coach took over, and he's certainly qualified and, and certainly been in the system and, and good enough. I'm not knocking that. But there's always a transition. Um, I, I don't – I don't. there's not a lot of programs that just simply leave where, or continue where they left off with a brand-new coach. Um, at the same time, I think Whitman's being underappreciated. I think there's too much stock being given in Howell, who left. Um, I think Whitman – what they brought back and who they brought in is just as dangerous as Nebraska Wesleyan. Now, that all said, both Nebraska Wesleyan and Whitman are going to have to deal with the this is a bigger cause conversation with their individual players. There are going to be players who are going to see less playing time over others who are getting more. There are some who are going to have to are going to be asked to give up the ball. There are going to be some who are asked to shoot more there's going to be conversations with these teams and Ryan Scott will probably dip into it a little bit when he has his next article with Whitman and Thomas Moore about what do you do here and how do you handle this? Uh, 
Um, and that is what I'm going to be watching. But for what I know Whitman brought back, considering two of the guys who were on their Final Four team, and what they lost, how not disagreeing he wasn't a good player, but sometimes the ball stopped when it got in his hands. I think Whitman's a little underappreciated at four. <laughs> yeah, I said four. <laughs> they're, I think they're a little bit underappreciated in that spot. That's just my opinion. Uh, by the way, Whitworth, six. That's pretty good. So it's not a total knock here. The other thing, too, is, again, there was a time where the top 10, you sat there with half that top 10 going, geez, they don't feel like top 10 teams. And half the top 25 felt like they were too high, maybe more than half. Two-thirds felt like they were ranked too high, that they deserved to be ranked, but not at 15 or not at 10. Now I think we have a situation where there are teams sitting in the top 15 or 20 that you can make an argument should be top 10 teams. Uh, I think Wittenberg's ranked too low at 11. I think they were, you know, their coach said they were maybe a little bit of a year ahead. I know what they lost, but I think Wittenberg's better than 11. Um, Hamilton at nine, uh, maybe smoke and mirrors. I want to see him a little bit further back. The funny thing is Springfield sitting at seven. And in my opinion, I thought going into the season, I would have him in the top three. And then when I started looking at everything, I couldn't find him a spot in the top three. That's how good the talent is. We, we got a really good year ahead of us. This is going to be fun to Watch, and I will make this as a plea once again, mainly to coaches because administrators, I think, get it, especially sports information directors. But there are so many coaches out there who do not get this. Please make your archives of games on demand available to be seen by the public. Too many coaches, and sometimes it's coaches in other sports that ruin it for the rest of the program. But too many sports and too many programs hide their, their live broadcasts on demand as not being able to be seen. And the reasons usually come down to, I don't want to be scouted. I don't want other teams to see what we're doing. Stop the madness. It is not a valid reason. I've had this conversation with coaches, and there can be coaches who can be angry with me. Feel free to email me. But Mike Krzyzewski at Duke is doing perfectly fine with his program, and everyone knows what Duke's doing because every single game's on television, every single game is broken down six ways to Sunday, and every single game is re-aired numerous times. The Final Four in, D in Division I basketball was re-aired on CBS Sports Network for weeks. Four weeks. We couldn't even get a re-air of the D3 championship game, but the D1 championship game and semifinals were re-aired for weeks teams already know what you're doing not to mention the fact for those of you who don't know coaches are sharing their videos at least in conference on programs like huddle synergy and others and those non-conference games are on there too everybody knows everything coaches are, are sharing points with each other whether at conventions or or at other places they're talking about the defenses that run the offense this comes down to execution. So stop hiding the archives. You're only doing a disservice to you. From a national point of view, I cannot watch every single game at 7 o'clock on a Wednesday to see every single team in action that I want to watch. It'd be nice with my sleep schedule at midnight if there's no games on to be able to turn on a game I missed. It also would be nice if alumni could do that or if parents could do that or if others can do that who support your program. But I talked to a coach 
earlier this week who said, what do I need to do to make sure we are noticed nationally? I said, make sure your archives are, are available and, and aren't hidden after they're live. He goes, oh yeah, I'm totally for that. He gets that. Let's stop hiding these games. Let's celebrate Division Three. Let's make sure everybody can see your games and appreciate the programs that are out there and appreciate the good games that are out there. We shouldn't be hiding archives. We've said it often. I'm saying it on one of the early shows of the season right now because it, it not only hurts your program, but it hurts folks like myself who appreciate Division Three across the board and cannot watch every game we want to watch because coaches are paranoid about apparently scouting. Your video's already out there. Let's stop the madness. Let us see it all. And with that, let's talk about the rest of Hoopsville this year. Uh, we'll be back live on Sunday, 7 o'clock Eastern time. Um, Ryan won't join us, but we'll get some coaches on. Again, we're going with this looser format, trying to enjoy it a little bit more. Um, so we'll get a couple coaches on Sunday show, start looking at the action that's already happened, but especially still continue this previewing of what we've got ahead. There's some fascinating stories out there. I'm trying not to step on Ryan's toes, but you know we did have both Pat Yuckum on at the beginning of the year, but we'll try and do something different. And also, you, are, you may be used to us talking to the committee chairs at the beginning of the year. That will happen. We just haven't thrown them into the beginning shows. We've already talked to Sam Atkinson. We'll have news on him joining us uh, in the near future. We'll be talking to Karen Harvey, Montclair State's head coach, who's the women's chair this year, about getting her on a show at some point as well. So those interviews coming up in the next few weeks, you're going to want to tune in because this is usually when we can start setting the table, as it were, for regional rankings and selections all the way down the road in February. We set the table now to give you an idea of why November is just as important as February. So those interviews will be coming up. Also talk to some others. We'll get some interesting segments on the air. That's all coming up. So Sunday we'll be back on the air live at 7 o'clock Eastern. We'll be live all the way up in, uh, for you know three shows, I think it is, or whatever it is. But we won't be live Thanksgiving, obviously. Back on the air live. Then we got a pre-taped in December. And then we're having more shows in December than we've had in eight years due to the fact that I will be staying home for football this year. Um, you know, the, it's not worth going into, but the trip to Texas is a little too complicated. So we'll be here. We'll have a few extra shows, which means we get to talk to a few extra coaches and a few extra guests as well. Looking to talk to more student athletes this year as well. Those are all nuances to what we hope to do moving forward. And granted, remember, in January we go to our regional coverage primarily. But again, we're going to try and keep the show loose. If we get enough advertising and we get enough sponsorships and enough to 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 justify the time we may even make some other dramatic changes to the show. But for now, Sundays and Thursdays, 7 o'clock Eastern, as always, we pr primarily stream on YouTube. We simulcast when we can on Facebook, and we always make the podcast available. You can now listen to the podcast not only on SoundCloud, which is our home, but you can also listen on Apple Play, uh, Apple Play or Apple Podcasts and Google Play. And we added Spotify this offseason, so there's multiple ways you can tune in. Sorry for the last show. The podcast had a miss at it, but we fixed it as soon as we were alerted to it. Um, so there you go. I hope we have found every way you could possibly enjoy this program. And thank you to Ryan Scott and Gordon Mann for coming on the show. I want to thank Jim Calhoun for coming on. Uh, I'm being so gracious with his time. Fun to chat with him about St. Joseph's of Connecticut. Also nice to know that he knows us. He knows the work that we do at Hoopsville and D3 Hoops. That was nice to hear from him. And with that, we shall bid you adieu from the second show of the season, the season tip-off. Hope you were enjoying games. Maybe you were listening to the podcast while games were being played. We appreciate 
however you do, share the show. Share the programming with your friends, other fans, coaches, etc. Have others. bring. Let's get more people involved in this show so we can talk more about Division Three. And don't forget, you can always email us questions, hoopsville at d3hoops.com. You can always send them to, via Twitter at d3hoopsville or on Facebook at facebook.com slash hoopsville. While we certainly try to answer as many questions as we can live on the air, if you send us questions ahead of time, We'll be able to better prepare those answers or at least feature them on the show instead of just running roughshod, as it were, with questions coming in live. So, again, Twitter, email. Uh, we're also on Instagram, um, and we're on Facebook as well. That information is certainly found on our website, d3hoopsville.com, or on our show pages where you found this podcast this evening. Most likely, I realize some of you are subscribed to a service. But that is it. Once again, thanks to Ryan Scott. Gordon Mann and Jim Calhoun. Also, thanks to Josh at St. Joseph's for coordinating the interview with Jim Calhoun. Stay tuned on the social media spheres. We will get you information as to what's coming up on Sunday's show. Um, probably sometime on Friday. We'll button that up, but certainly on Saturday. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Hope you enjoyed this one. Enjoy the 2018-19 basketball seasons in Division Three men's and women's basketball. It should be a great time with a lot of good basketball and a lot of excitement. Again, season tipped off with Clark at Worcester State. Worcester State, at, by the time we're doing this now and it's aired, now they're no longer the only team that's 1-0, but congratulations to those two teams and a great atmosphere to get in the season tipped off. We'll talk to you down the road. You've been listening to Hoopsville, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. We'll be back on Sunday live at 7 o'clock Eastern. Copyrighted broadcast of Hoopsville is a property of DMAC Productions and David McHugh and is intended solely for the private, personal use of our audience. Any other broadcast, rebroadcast, or other use of the descriptions and accounts of this show without the express written consent of Hoopsville and DMAC Productions is strictly prohibited.